Hey everyone, this is Eddie Kalegi with Tim Moore reminding you that Sportspeak is now powered by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the one-stop shop for tickets to sporting events, concerts, and so much more. Use the promo code SPORTSPEAK at checkout for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, let there be live. Now, on to the show. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sportspeak Live, installment number 155, powered by SeatGeek. Use promo code SPORTSPEAK, all caps, one word, $20 off your first online purchase. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Hope you're enjoying these few weeks leading up to Turkey Day. We've had a couple of weeks off, but we're back here to discuss everything happening in the NFL. Just seven weeks left in the season. Some surprises, some major season-ending injuries. We'll talk about those. The NBA in-season tournament in full swing. Our reaction, plus a big scandal in college football. Everything happening with Jim Harbaugh and the University of Michigan. We'll dive into that, but we have to start with the Sportspeak Fantasy Football League, which uh, I am in danger. I'm in big danger right now of finishing last and getting the last place punishment. And I'm three and eight. I play T-Glass this week, who's the best team. He's 10 and one. So I can already chalk it up probably as three and nine. Thankfully, Alec has been bad. But how about Tropper, Tim? He's climbed into a playoff spot after uh, not knowing what he was doing at all in the draft. Yeah, he's been really hot, to be honest with you, about over the last four weeks. I think he's won three of his last four. For me, I'm in a little bit of trouble. Now, I kind of misspoke in the text chat because I was under the understanding that basically playoff seeding gets decided by your overall record, regardless of division, uh, because I thought that's what it did in the past. However, it seems to be that I believe it's the top three records from each division, which right now, Tropper, of course, yeah, I believe he's in the West. I forgot who's in the West, who's in the East. I just know I'm in one of them. Um, And needless to say, Tropper ends up falling in that third wildcard spot. Uh, I know Bell, actually, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I think about Bell's in the playoffs as well, so maybe I'm wrong. Because Bellows would be the five. Drew, of course, is also in that division where he's the three, and then uh, of course, T Glass is the one. The reason why Drew's a three, Drew seven and two, is because of my side. Tristan's uh, uh, winning the division right now. I've lost four of my last five fantasy matchups, by the way. So I feel like I'm in trouble. But I do want to point this out for you, Eddie. Overall, you know, while you feel like you're in a little bit of trouble, in fantasy, you still have one percent chance of the playoffs. I saw that. I'm... I mean, if one percent, it's not. 99%. It's a 99% chance I'm not going to make playoffs, but it's something. It's just injuries. And this is what we signed up for. Injuries, chaos. For me, my team's been outside of Mark Andrews, who just got hurt in this last week. My team has been too healthy. Too, too healthy. My, my, my depth hasn't really changed all season long. The best gift I've gotten all season is Zach Wilson getting benched because Kirk Cousins got hurt. That was my other injury, but I didn't play him anyways because I had Josh Allen. And Zach Wilson got benched, so I'm able to get Gardner Minshew back, who is now my quarterback. But we've had players quickly go off the board. There's hardly any QBs left. Uh, the running back department going to be very interesting this week. I have my big bye week next week where I know I'm going to lose. Literally three-fourths of my entire fantasy team is going to be on a bye. So 
it's going to get interesting. It's going to get down to nitty gritty. And especially, I guess, it's a little bit of a perk. I'm hoping that I have a lot of players that are on the cusp of the playoffs, like the Bills, the Vikings, and so on. So I think it's going to be a great end to this regular season, and I'm eager to see who's going to be on the six. But the main thing to remember as well, folks, the one and two seeds overall, so Tristan and um, T-Glass right now are going to get buys going into the playoffs as long as they maintain their positions. But Drew's got a couple big matchups coming up. Uh, I know I believe this week I play, oh goodness, I lost a chopper last week. I played Bellows this week, who's in a playoff spot. So things can come down to the wire. I'm also not quite convinced Zoe's quite done yet because she's had a pretty dang good team uh, for the most part. She just has had a lot of bad luck this season on her opponents and when things fall apart. And of course, nobody's been more unlucky than Alec because everybody gets hurt for him every week. It's, it is what it is. Zoe also has a very manageable schedule to finish. She plays Miniker, Tropper, and Bellows the last three weeks, so she's got a chance to pick up a couple of W's there. I have the last three weeks of the season for me. I have Bellows I have T-Glass, and I have Drew. So we're talking about the three teams in the division. So it's like, I needed to beat Tropper last week. And Mark Andrews getting hurt. Ah, I mean, it wasn't the full reason why I lost. But Mark Andrews getting hurt ah, just hurts me. Alexander Madison not getting touches when he should hurts me. There's a lot of things that irritate me right now about my fantasy football team. The thing is, everybody's getting screwed over by injuries. I have not had an injury to a starting player. Knock on wood, knock on wood. I've not had an injury to a starting player on my team since week one. Week one, Travis Kelsey was out and Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Since then, my team's been healthy. They've just underperformed. I mean, Devontae Smith has been up and down. Gabe Davis is the most frustrating fantasy player I've ever seen because he either gets straight up zeros when you put him in the lineup or you leave him on the bench and Josh Allen throws to him nine times and he gets 100 yards and gets 20 points. And, well, and that's the funny part. Like, it's just you just mentioned Josh Allen, right? Josh Allen, everybody's talking about negatively about how much he struggled, how many interceptions he's thrown. People forget the fact that he leads the league in passing touchdowns. And people also forget the fact that I'm pretty sure of quarterbacks in the NFL, he also leads the league in rushing touchdowns. So when you think about that, yes, of course, he's been turned over the rock left and right. But with that all being said in terms of fantasy, as much as I've been complaining about him underperforming, he's still the best fantasy quarterback in fantasy right now. So it's like he can choose your poison. I truly would have thought Patrick Mahomes would have surpassed him with how much he's been, quote-unquote, struggling. But it is what it is. And with you, I think what you've had to settle with Sam Howell now, which is very interesting. It, it pays off, but it, it won't pay off the end of the season, which I'm sure we'll go more into later. Oh, we sure will. Uh, that definitely won't pay off tomorrow. That's for sure on Thanksgiving. But overall, I would say the quarterback position has been surprising because of the injuries, but it doesn't really feel like it's been a quarterback's year as compared to more of a wide receiver running back year uh, in fantasy football and really football overall. Because I think if you follow the stats, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think we have a single 4,500-yard passer at the end of this year. Yeah, I don't think so either. There's been a lot of guys who have had good games, and then they'll have terrible games mixed in there. Um, I will tell you, I am going with my other quarterback this week, I'm going with Jared Goff. I trust Jared Goff at home against the Packers a whole lot more than Sam Howell against Dallas. Um, but we'll get to Sam Howell in a few minutes. Let's talk about this conversation that's been going on a lot in the NFL the last couple of weeks. The MVP is as not clear 
as any year that I've seen. Usually by this stage of the season, when you got six weeks to go, you're down to two or three guys, or you know who's probably going to be in the MVP mix. There are cases for several players right now. Now, my Eagles, I'm very happy to say they are 9-1 and one for the second straight year. Uh, that Dallas game, that final drive gave me probably a heart attack, but um, multiple heart attacks, three defensive penalties, but then Dak, for some reason, throws a Hail Mary to the five-yard line instead of the end zone. So uh, that worked out. Kansas City, uh, Eagles did not deserve to win that game. But the Chiefs made some mistakes. Patrick Mahomes does not have receivers who can catch. And simple as that. Philadelphia got it done, pulled it out. And I'm very happy right now because I thought Kansas City was going to be a loss. They end up winning it. Um, Before the year, I thought the Eagles would pull it out against the Chiefs. But with the way Kansas City was playing and with the way, frankly, the Eagles were playing, I didn't see them coming out of Arrowhead with a W. But it happens. And now you got Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas again. Hopefully, hopefully you can take two out of those three. If not, I'm fine with one out of three of those games. Got to beat Buffalo, I think. Uh, would love to beat San Francisco, too. I don't see them winning in Dallas in a few weeks. But that brings up a conversation because Jalen Hurts now has the best odds to win MVP. And as much as I like to defend Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, he's not an MVP to me right now. He's thrown nine picks. Statistically, he's not much better than Jordan Love passing the football. Now, he does have a lot of rushing touchdowns, but many of those are from the tush push. And uh, I, I love the tush push. I'm not someone who thinks you should ban the play. I think that's ridiculous. If teams that are complaining just can't do it. But those plays are not all about Jalen Hurts. It's mainly about Jason Kelsey, and it's about having the push from behind. Jalen Hurts has the tush. But you, you got to have the people doing the push, and they matter too. You also need Jason Kelsey creating sort of the ramp for Hurts to go over the top. And as much as Jalen Hurts having that lower body power uh, helps in those situations, he's cooking up all these rushing touchdowns because of the tush push. So I, I have a problem giving him MVP necessarily. And that's my big problem with the MVP in general in the NFL, because it ends up just being the quarterback from the best team most of the time. And that shouldn't be the most valuable player. I know the quarterback position is the most valuable position, but I think there's other people to consider. Like to me, Christian McCaffrey should be an MVP candidate. He just should. He's the best player on the San Francisco 49ers who are a top five team in the league. He scored a touchdown in every game, but one this season. He can catch the football. He can run the football. He can even throw the football on trick plays once in a while. He's electric and he's elite, but there are so many guys that you can have in the conversation. Lamar Jackson, and Patrick Mahomes both deserve to be there because, frankly, they're doing a lot with a little. Neither of them have great weapons. Of course, the Ravens have better than the Chiefs this year, but Ravens have had a ton of injuries, too. And the fact that they're putting up the numbers they are is really impressive, and they should be in the mix with Jalen Hurts. Uh, Dak Prescott has had a really good year. I think he should be in the conversation. I mean, two has had a great season. C.J. Stroud has just burst onto the scene and has been sensational this year. There are so many players that you can have in the mix right now that is really hard to pick a favorite. And for me, even as an Eagles fan, I'm hesitant to say Jalen Hurts is the favorite because to me, those numbers are not MVP numbers. But as you said, this isn't the best quarterback year. Maybe we might not even see anyone eclipse 4,500 yards. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Another one, too, that I can think of that immediately jumps out there. What about guys like Tyreek Hill, for example, who have been dominating and taking control of games? 
uh, throughout the year. And honestly, to be honest with you, when all the names you mentioned, right, of course, Patrick Mahomes, I think it's what, what we're going to see with Mahomes. Of course, I think he's going to win a couple more MVPs down the road. But what we're seeing right now is kind of the, I don't want to say the Mike Trout effect, if that makes sense, but more of the fact that we know Mahomes is good, but we can't over, how do I put it? We, we, we can't give him MVP and we can't overvalue his statistics just because we know he's making that team better. That's the unfortunate part about it. Um, Lamar Jackson, I think, definitely uh, definitely should be considered uh, in the race for the MVP, in my opinion. It, it, the only thing that has made Jalen Hurts, and you brought it up already, is what makes him stand out from everybody else is the touch push, just because of the fact that it's a successful play that has been able to provide them uh, extra statistics and production in the red zone. But I, again, I just don't know. I tend to agree with you as well. I would say my MVP right now is Christian McCaffrey, just because of the fact that he's doing something very special. Uh, you know, a touchdown nearly every week is special, but he's also on pace for pretty decent yardage as well. And when you put that all in consideration, and the fact that too that he can also make catches and get downfield pretty productively, it, it, it's a very it's a very compelling case. You know, past seasons with quarterbacks, there would be dominant years where you'd have guys on top of 5,000 yards doing some great things. I mean, Mahomes is a great example last year. You, and you, you look at that like you, you look at what Cooper Cup did a few seasons ago where it's like, yeah, you know, you'd love to give him MVP or you'd love to give him all these things, but a lot of things happen um, that, you know, around football, that you have to pick and choose your battles. This year, it's there's not a lot going around football, and these good things are not getting valued. So I'm eager to see what happens. Right now, like I said, for me, it's Christian McCaffrey, but there is definitely an issue with football right now where I guess it's really, to be honest with you, because of the injuries, but there's just no flow of consistency. And I will say this in terms of watching sports my entire life now, I'm 25 years old. From the point I can remember, this is the first time ever, forget about talking about an MVP candidate, this is the first time ever going to a playoff of any sort when we get there where I have no clue what team stands out, no clue what team is going to take special control. Even the Eagles right now who have one loss, who, in my opinion, are the strongest team in the NFC, or NFC, uh, not, not just the NFC East, I feel like the, the Eagles are vulnerable. Just like how I feel the Kansas City Chiefs, as they proved that on Sunday against the Eagles, are vulnerable. I feel every team that's going to make the playoffs this year is vulnerable in some shape or manner, which could create a very chaotic and positive playoff. But on the contrary, I've never seen that before, which is what makes me so, so interested to see what's going to happen as we go through the month of December uh, very, very soon. And one team, one other factor I want to throw in there, he's not going to win MVP. Neither of them are going to. But the numbers that both TJ Watt and Miles Garrett are putting up right now, especially in a situation where both of those teams are severely lacking on offense. Now, the Steelers finally got rid of Matt Canada, which I think is going to be a positive for them, but they still are missing weapons on that offense. And Kenny Pickett, I don't think, is the answer. Uh, that being said, you know, what they're doing. TJ Watt has single-handedly won Pittsburgh multiple games this year. Miles Garrett's numbers are crazy. 
Those two should be in the conversation too. I'm not, they're not going to win it, but they should be in the mix because of what they've contributed. And I said this at the beginning of the year, the AFC North is the most dangerous division in the NFL and it's shown it this year. I mean, I think the Bengals would have had a, it's just a, as typical of a shot at winning a Super Bowl as they've had the last two years had Joe Burrow not gotten hurt. They were putting things together. For some reason, that team is just awful in September every year. But last six weeks, they've looked great. Their only loss was to C.J. Stroud. Um, but Baltimore's been good. Cleveland's found a way. And Pittsburgh, every year, finds a way to finish over 500. I think they're going to find their way into the postseason. But those and, two and, guys are going to be they, dynamic. AFC North is in complete chaos now when you think about it. Because outside of Lamar Jackson and what the Ravens have, and for the record, out Mark Andrews, no quarterbacks. The quarterback position has been completely decimated in the AFC North. Teddy Pickett looks awful. I, I really still don't think he's a good quarterback at all. Not even near. Um, obviously, the injury now to Joe Burrow changes a lot of things for Cincinnati. And when you look at Cleveland as well, no Sean Watson. Um, they their defense is able to carry the games, but now it it, it comes down to the fact of. You got to make the big play when it matters. And I don't know if any team right now has that kind of quarterback that's going to elevate them in terms of uh, in terms of that AFC North outside of Lamar, of course, that could make a Super Bowl or a big playoff push. But only time will tell. But it's, it's a great time to be watching football because, again, there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of boxes not checked. Eventually they will get checked. But, man, AFC North, just so chaotic. It is. And it's always fun. Every divisional game in that specific division just seems to have so much drama surrounding it. And to me, it's the most exciting division in football. There's tense rivalries between every team and it's always exciting. Brown Steelers coming down to the wire this past Sunday with Cleveland coming out on top with that game winning field goal. Um, but yeah. And I think, like you said, a lot of this chaos is attributed to these injuries because the laundry list of quarterbacks now that have had season-ending injuries. You got Aaron Rodgers, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins, Anthony Richardson, Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson. It just goes on and on. And those are all, I'd say, top half to top, top half of the league to top 20 quarterbacks. So you lose all of those guys. And now you're going to be seeing a postseason where besides Patrick Mahomes, there's going to be quarterbacks with very little playoff experience coming in, which is going to make it really interesting, which is why teams like the Steelers and the Browns, I think, have the opportunity to maybe shine and go on a run, even if they don't have the quarterback, because if they can keep it low scoring, if it's January, bad weather, defenses can reign supreme. And I'd really look out for both of them. But to me, I break it down and I'll finish the topic with this. I think there's a, a superior six right now in the NFL. There are six teams that rise above the rest. There could be some surprises in the playoffs, but to me, those six, you got the Chiefs and Ravens from the AFC. I think those are the two most complete teams in the AFC right now. Miami's still a little bit behind. They can't beat good teams. NFC, Philly, Dallas, San Fran, Detroit. I think those are the four teams that have a legitimate shot at the Super Bowl. I, I don't think anybody else really has a chance of getting there. I could see any of those four putting it together. And uh, if you're the Cowboys, this is your year to make a run. The NFC is not deep. There is a lot of chaos. Like you said, the Eagles are vulnerable. If Dallas wants to make it to the NFC championship game, I think this is the season to do it. But the Cowboys do play tomorrow 
against the Washington Commanders. And uh, the Commanders have uh, a guy under command by the name of Sam Howell. And we had Joe Henry on a few months ago, and he was not a big fan of your takes on Sam Howell. And then Sam Howell lost to the New York Giants this week. And then you and Big Joe got in a squabble on Twitter and went back and forth and back and forth and all these stats and everything. Um, and you keep going back to the same stat that he does not throw for 250 passing yards against teams that are in the top half of the league in passing defense. And uh, that, that that's held true once again. But how, how do you evaluate Sam Howell at this point? I think that he has had a decent season. However, I feel that when you are passing the ball nearly 75% of the time as an offense, and you were scoring at best 18th, 17th in terms of points per game as an offense, you can't convince me that Sam Howell is the person that's keeping that team in the mix and ultimately putting that team in a competitive position to win games. When I see it like this, Sam Howell's played a lot of very bad passing defenses this year, hence the stat. And for folks trying to understand, or maybe he's looked at me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, the reason why 250 yards has come in the mix, you based on the average attempts that Sam Howell has in terms of, um, uh, of what he's averaged this season, and then you multiply that by the 18 games, um, or 18, excuse me, uh, 17 games that they're going to play, and he's on pace for about, 650 attempts so if you're going to attempt about you know 40 passing attempts a game ideally 250 yards should be your ideal goal that's a, that's a good day if you're passing that many times and in terms of the fact that sam howell is passing over 40 times a game to me doesn't do enough or does doesn't do enough productiveness because as you saw against the Giants and again I, I don't think the Giants are good defense I think that Kevon Thibodeau is a superstar it's just the fact of the matter that he needs to prove it needed to prove himself and find his rhythm I think Dexter Lawrence is great for the Giants secondaries and eh, it's the, the the corners are really overrated I like Pinnock at safety I've, I've liked the safeties and a linebacker core is still a little bit meh but Okereke has done a very good job filling a role um with that being said, you know, the Giants kind of met the threshold the first time. They were ranked 12 when they played them the first time. Second time around, no. There are very good defenses that have been able to shut down Sam Howell this year. Um, and they were all at the time near the top five, near the top 10, the Buffalo Bills, Atlanta Falcons. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the other one was. Um, but either way, the point is, is that you want to talk about production. You want to talk about everything. The point is this. I don't understand how Ron Rivera has a job because Brian Robinson looks good and they don't properly use him. I don't care about Christian Rodriguez. They've already killed Antonio Gibson. I've said that multiple times here on Sports Speed in terms of ruining his production. You need to hand off the football and have a balance because it is easy for teams to pass commit against you because once you know that you get into a hole with second and eight, second and nine, you are passing nearly every time. And the problem is, and this is my point about Sam Howell, why I'm not convinced, Eddie. Again, when you are giving somebody who is passing to Tom Brady-esque passing attempts and you are only scoring 19 points to 20 points a game as a team, that doesn't do it for me. And again, I would hope, again, 
hence the 250 yard number. I would hope if you're passing that many times, you're at least reaching that threshold more often than not. And he's going to have a lot of very competitive defenses that are going to prove my point further uh, to end out this season, starting with Dallas, and he's going to have to play twice. Uh, he's played a lot of very bad pass defenses. His best games came against the Eagles, who ranked 28th in pass defense. His big games came against the Broncos, the Bears. By the way, the Broncos, what a turnaround they've had. Very surprising from 1-5 and five to 5-5. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of teams that were very miserable around the start of this season. Oh, I just remember who the other one was. The other one was the Arizona Cardinals, who surprisingly, as bad as they've been, have a very good defense this year in terms of passing yards. So overall, it is. I just don't think Sam Howell's the answer. I don't think he's that good. And I think we get proof of right tomorrow when he's going to have to go to Jerry's world. Or is it, or is it in Washington or Jerry's world? No, no, Jerry. it's, it's in Jerry world. It's, it's Jerry's world. So he's gonna, they're going to go to Jerry's world and they're going to feel the wrath of what has been the Dallas Cowboys defense. Because outside of, I'd say, the New York Jets in terms of teams that have embarrassed offenses this season, Dallas has been probably the second best in embarrassing offenses on a weekly basis. Uh, that is true. But, I mean, Sam Howell is still an improvement from what Washington has had basically since Kirk Cousins left. I mean, the, the, the commander's quarterback right. situation has been a mess but, the last five years. You look at the stats, it's appealing, but nobody's passing to the right Sam Howell is. There's not a single quarterback near 400 passing attempts this year. Sam Howell's beyond it. I think the next highest is like 360, 380, something like that. And the production levels, the interception percentage is much higher. Um, when you look at a lot of things in terms of Sam Howell statistics, in terms of pocket time, I'm talking about this with Tyler Glass on Twitter. You can also look at that. You know, Sam Howell, I'm tired about hearing about the offensive line for the Washington Commanders because when you look at sack percentages, when you look at pressure percentages, they're not even in the bottom 5% of the NFL. Now, don't get me wrong. They're not or they're not in bottom five teams. They're, they, they're not appealing. When they get pressured, they get sacked, yes, uh, Sam Howell does. But the Giants have been a lot worse. The Jets have been far, far worse. Um, When you look at teams, believe it or not, the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, a lot of pressure, a lot of blitzes, a lot of lot, lot of pressure. Patrick Mahomes is another one who's been pressured a lot this season. It just hasn't resulted in sacks. There are a plentiful amount of quarterbacks that face a lot of pressure. Sam Howell? He, it's just as simple as this, that he's got to make the right decisions. And yes, he's been sacked a lot, but the commanders are not as bad offensive line-wise as what they're perceived to be. And when the Giants drop back 27% of the time and they're getting pressured on immediately, that's a concern. When you're getting sacked on nearly 15% of your offensive plays from scrimmage uh, in terms of pass attempts, that's not good at all. And the fact that when you look at Danny DeVito, I'm going to call him, um, you know, dropping back behind there, getting, 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 getting uh, pressured left and right, getting sacked nine times throughout the game and turning around and, and Tommy throwing balls over your head left and right for three passing touchdowns outplaying Sam Howell. That to me is a problem for Washington. And again, I'm not going to just pinpoint the giant games, but that is a problem. And it's just simply the fact that the Giants have the worst offensive line and they absolutely proved to the commanders 
exactly why their offensive line isn't the worst and they were so competitive enough. So again, I just I just simply don't want to hear it. I don't think the Giants are good for the record either. I'm actually I'm still I'm very conflicted. I want to see us win, right? But I'm rooting for us to lose because every game we play at the end of this regular season has meaning. Um in terms of a draft pick, you beat the Patriots. Now you're talking about maybe fifth, sixth, seventh. You beat the Rams, another team that's in the mix, the Packers. There's a lot going on at the end of this year. But I, I think the Commanders, their best thing to do, tank. That's your best thing you could do. Playoff races out, fire Ron Rivera as soon as possible. That's all you got to do. And run the football. Just run the football more. And maybe you'll be a productive offense that could score more points. It's this, we'll, we'll talk about it more in a couple of weeks. We're going to have Hoffman on again uh, to look at the uh, mock draft board. Um, because I have some doubts, too, about the benefits of tanking this year. Because personally... I don't see it with Caleb Williams. We'll, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, but um, it's going to be interesting to see what the commanders can develop over the next few weeks, but I do not think tomorrow is going to be pretty at all uh, going to Dallas. The Cowboys have absolutely demolished bad teams this year. It's just mind boggling to me that they play so poorly against the giants. And then they look like a super bowl team against the Eagles. So, and, and that was the case last year too, but uh, I'll digress on that. Let's go to the NBA for a moment. So the in-season tournament has been going on for the last few weeks. The games have been exciting, but here's the deal. I feel like nobody's talking about the standings, like the Lakers and Pacers clinched their groups last night. Like nobody's talking about it. It's, I, I wanted to give it a chance because I, I thought it was a creative idea and I didn't really want to judge it until I actually saw it play out. And now we've had it going for three weeks. Here's my problems. Number one, it's weird that the games are only on Tuesdays and Fridays that count towards it. And then you got other regular season games mixed in that don't count towards it. So there's confusion on the format and it feels like most people don't have an, any idea what's going on. And there have been multiple players who have said they have no idea what's going on. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, I don't feel like these games are getting any sort of extra billing. It's like, oh, by the way, these games count towards the in-season tournament, not, oh, in-season tournament actions happening tonight. Everything's just like, oh, reg regular, regular season package uh, on ESPN or TNT, but these games happen to count towards this in-season tournament. And third thing, these courts are ridiculous. I mean, I, you're going to give people epilepsy. I mean, these things are blaring red, purple, and... I was looking at some of the shooting numbers from the first games of these tournaments, especially from some of the younger players. They were not good. And I, I really believe that there was a trend and that's not, you know, sort of just a coincidence. I think these courts have the line of sight, the vision for these players way off. And that's why the shooting was bad. These first couple of games. So there's been exciting games, but to me, it's like you'd get these anyway in the regular season, regardless, I don't think there's anybody really tuning in for these group play games any more than they would. I think the only time you're going to see these ratings go up is when you get to the knockout stage in December, which is like four days in Las Vegas. And I don't know, does that mean all that much in the grand scheme of things? Maybe it does. Maybe you're going to get a lot of revenue if you're the NBA, but I don't think these group stage games are really doing any benefit besides what you typically see in the NBA and it's not like it's necessarily making teams want to play their superstars more because regardless of whether the tournament was happening or not the NBA already changed the rules this year that you can't have the load management for multiple all-stars in the same game so I, I just I don't know I, I think it's okay 
Do I like it? Not necessarily. I, I don't hate it, but I, I haven't really enjoyed it. I don't know how much of it you've seen, but from your side, what have you liked and disliked about the tournament? I like the fact that there's fights. <laughs> uh, the, the Warriors. Well, that's, I mean, Draymond Green would be putting people in chokeholds whether or not it was a tournament game. And it's, well, that's, that's the point. That's going to be the peak of what this first stage is pretty much. And, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of confusion of, you know, you don't understand when value or what, when games are happening and, and when value is so on. It's like, I just don't feel like there's a lot of build to it this year as compared to last year, because it was, you know, an eye-opening experience in regards to last year where it's like, okay, it's something different. And you kind of get, just kind of get like over it it's like kind of well see i was gonna compare it to the world cup for a second but really people care about the first stages of the world cup because mm-hmm. it only happens so often this is gonna happen every year and to me it, it's just like i don't know I, I i thought it was a good idea for the nba to give them more to play for you know for something in season give them a little bit more incentive but after a year i'm gonna be honest i just don't care about it I care about how setting up for the March, and maybe it's just how I view the NBA. I don't, I don't really care until you get to the playoffs for the NBA, or at least until you get to All Star break, because that's when you start telling what teams have the magic and what team don't. And I'll see it like this too. You have to figure out something eventually for the NBA, where you're going to have to just play a natural game of basketball, where you're going to need to stop. I don't want to say gimmicking things because it's not that they're gimmicking things, but like, for example, the incentives of, of what you just mentioned, load managing all-stars. That to me is, I, I, I don't understand why the NBA first off, and then we've had a load management issue. I never understood that. Don't get why guys just get load management days. It's the dumbest thing in the world. You don't play every day. You play 82 games a year. Why do you need a day off? I don't get that. Um, unless you're hurt, of course, that's a little bit different. But to me, the load management aspect in the NBA is the dumbest thing to exist. The fact that it really only applies to all-stars is the dumbest thing to ever exist. And to me, the fact of the matter is, just play basketball. Let it tell its own story. Why do I love baseball so much? Yeah, it's 162 games a year. But then when, like, what we saw this year, as you start getting to the edge of the postseason, you have magical moments that make you last memories for a very, very long time. And I think the fact of the matter is, for the NBA, is we've gone through all this, right? And and for the record, too, we, we've added um, more teams to the playoffs over the stretch, which every league is doing, for the record. Right, but you have the play-in tournament, right? You have all these things now where you gave a little bit of a different look to try to create a little bit more excitement. It, it doesn't, I don't know, but the play-in tournament's obviously very exciting, right? But it's more of basketball right now, outside of when you get to the NBA finals of the playoffs, I just feel like it's naturally missing that development that allows you to build to the Game 7 kind of moment. Yeah, and I, I just want to say one point from what you said that I agree with and expanding on it, comparing it to other sports. I think one of the other problems, and I don't know how you fix this if you're the NBA, I feel like there's no juice until after the trade deadline, maybe the days leading up to the trade deadline, because here's why. An NBA roster is 13 players compared to that to the 
baseball where there's 25, hockey where there's 25, football where there's 53. The trades that are made at the deadline are so impactful in the NBA compared to any other sport. A good team will change 25 to 30% of their roster at the trade deadline. So it's like it nullifies the first four months. And then you've got this push. And now that you do have the play-in tournament, which I like, my problem is now you have 20 teams in the postseason. So the, the barriers to entry are so low to make the playoffs that even after the trade deadline, it doesn't mean all that much. Because as long as you can get into one of those 10 spots, you're feeling good. And then if you can win in the play-in tournament, then it gets back to the regular NBA playoff format. So well, that's good. Yeah. The other problem, too, is if you're on the opposite side, if you're a team that's tanking, you're only emphasizing a team to tank even harder if you don't mm -hmm. feel like you can be competitive to be in those 10 teams. So it's like I feel like the NBA has a whole has a balance issue because of that. And, yeah, I mean, obviously you have the draft lottery and so on. But to me, it, it just makes decision making from a team perspective a lot more easier to think, yeah, you know what? We, we're just going to go for a top pick. We don't feel competitive or we feel like we're in the mix and we're going to make moves. And there's going to be no in between. Of course, that sounds average, but in the NBA, it's like doing what the Tampa Bay Rays do in baseball, right? Where it's like, all right, we're going to buy all these cheap teams, look competitive. And if we don't do good, we're just going to sell everybody off. Um, and we'll, we'll come back next year, you know, try to get a good pick, do whatever it is. Or, you could be like the, you know, the the Mets, the Yankees, whatever you want to put it, where you can go out there, buy left and right, because that's the other thing. Cap doesn't really have a factor in basketball. So you can get whatever superstar you want. But I just don't feel like, and I'm, that's where I agree with you, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but it doesn't have meaning. There's no urgency. It, maybe if the NBA moved the deadline earlier, things I want there to feel like there's an urgency early on the season. I, to me, after after the first games of the season and opening night, I, it's not that I don't have urgency to watch basketball, but I don't have an urgency to care because nothing is being told right now in terms of what you're seeing out of teams. Once you get past deadline time, once you get past the all-star break, you start seeing who stands out from the rest. And yes, it takes time to develop that, but that's when you start seeing complete teams. And I just, I want the NBA to have an urgency factor. And there's none of that. There just isn't. And that's why, too, football is just continues to reign supreme. Because when you only got 18 games, the intensity starts from week one and does not dwindle the entire year. And it's only a once a week commitment. Because the arguments you're making with the NBA, I side with, but I feel the same way about baseball. Frankly, April and May in baseball does not matter. The Mets are great in April every single year, and then they fall apart in June. There's been multiple situations in the last five years where teams that were 15 games below 500 two months into the season made it to the World Series. The Nationals in 2019 and the Phillies last year. So it's like the beginning of these seasons doesn't hold the same weight. And the one last point I want to make is this. Everybody's been talking about how Basketball is becoming more popular, especially amongst Gen Zers and millennials. And we did see the viewership numbers go up, but now they're starting to take a dip again. And being on a college campus at Rutgers, it's shocking to see how little interest there is in the NBA, especially at the radio station when I talk to people. The vast majority of people in the sports department at a college radio station do not follow the NBA. 
And this is a sport that's supposedly especially appealing to people who are 18 to 22. And they say, oh, we like college basketball better. It's less gimmicky. There's more strategy. There's not all of this stuff going on with superstars demanding things. To me, I appreciate both because I recognize that they are two very different sports, two very different games, professional basketball and college basketball. But if you can't hit your target market, I know this is just a small sample size, but I think it's demonstrative of what we're seeing across. And I think over the last few years after basketball had really started to peak uh, during 2017, 2018, towards the end of the Warriors' first dynasty, I, I think it's starting to come back down a little bit, which is interesting. But uh, let's finish with college football. So the Michigan-Ohio State game, again, is going to have weight in the college football playoff this year. Final year of the four-team playoff, thank goodness, because – this year should have more than four teams playing for a championship the way the season has gone. Um, there's probably should be about seven or eight teams competing for a championship. So it's ridiculous that it's still down to only four. But thankfully, this is the last year of that. Michigan, Ohio State, there's a chance the loser does not make the playoffs. And uh, Ohio State has had trouble this over the last few years getting over the hump against Michigan. Um, but the Wolverines has had everything going on. And uh, Jim Harbaugh suspended at the beginning of the year. Connor Stallions getting fired. Then Harbaugh's now suspended again. Um, I feel like the sign stealing is not just exclusive to Michigan, but the fact that it happened as prevalently as it did there with just constantly Connor Stallions buying tickets to other games. I mean, it, it, it got out of control and the NCAA and the Big Ten, frankly, had to do something. Yeah, they, they definitely had to do something. And I feel bad for Arbaugh uh, because I think about this. Obviously, they hit a huge accolade um, without him, unfortunately, uh, Michigan does. But overall, I mean, you think about it for Michigan. I I honestly think it still doesn't change much in terms of how this season goes. Because at the end of the day, now they're kind of playing with purpose. You get what I'm saying? It's like they have a chip on their shoulder. They don't have their coach. They're losing everything. They're playing with a purpose. And this feel, the, the, the sign-stealing stuff is, to me, very interesting. Because the... A, the only other comparison, and for the record, we still don't have all the information yet of how these things were done yet, right? So to me, it's more of, you look at something, is it from a from a standpoint, is it worse than what the Astros are doing? You get what I'm saying in terms of, of so on? That I can't be the judge of yet. But it was enough for the NCAA to do something. It was enough for the Big Ten to do something. So if that's the case, it is what it is. But you gave Michigan even a bigger urgency to want to play to win and have this feeling that they need to play for their coach. And with that being said, as much as I'm a Buckeyes fan and I've laughed at the Wolverines uh, the last few years about how Michigan constantly choked in a clutch, I think they could do it this year. And I think that there's potential for them to win a national championship I think they can get it done against Ohio State. I really do, and I'm very eager to see uh, if Ohio State proves me wrong. But it's been a very different year in the NCAA. You mentioned it where there's a bunch of balance. But despite all this cheating stuff and so on, I wouldn't even be surprised if Michigan wins the national championship because it would just be a big spit in the face of the NCAA. Because let's be honest with you, 
as much as I love college football, a bunch of the stories, everything else, to me, the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of questionable things that go on to the NCAA. And a lot of it goes under the radar. Some of it doesn't go under the radar. In the case of this, it does, didn't go under the radar with Michigan. But there's a lot of sketchy things that happen with a lot of D1 teams. And this doesn't surprise me. Because again, as they say in a different sport, right? If you're doing NASCAR, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's what they say in NASCAR all the time. In football, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. In baseball, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. It's just as simple as that. You have to test the rules and the boundaries. And Michigan, unfortunately, went too far with it. And they're ultimately penalized for it. So, But I think they're going to play with an urgency that gives them a reason. Yep, and they're undefeated this year, and they've still won all five games without Jim Harbaugh on the sideline. And they'll look to make it six this weekend against Ohio That's, State. Well, five already? Well, because he was suspended the first three games of the season yeah. for recruiting. This, yeah, this is, this is the second one already this year. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the second from this. But he was suspended the first three games of the year, which was also a joke. But um, it's the best weekend of football, I think, all year. You got Thanksgiving games. You got a Black Friday NFL game. College football mixed in all weekend long. Uh, next week, we'll be back to talk about it. We will also be doing our first trivia show, uh, the Ball Knowers Showdown. Stay tuned for more details about that. That's going to be fun. Um, you can also follow us on X at Sportspeak Live, our NFL weekly pick em. Currently, I'm up by just one game on Tim uh, with seven weeks to go in the season. So, oh, oh, no, Nothing we ever talked about either, by the way. How you feel? Rutgers is bowl eligible. We'll be uh, talking about the start of the year. What happened where you said, I don't think Rutgers is even going to get close to a bowl game. Well, they, I thought there were six winnable games. I didn't, I, based on past history, I didn't think they were going to win all six of those games, but they did. They've fallen apart in November, but that was kind of be, to be expected. So yeah, I'm happy, but uh, they're going to be playing in the Bronx. They're going to the pinstripe bowl. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a set deal, um, but Hey, a bowl game's a bowl game. First time in nine years. I'm pretty satisfied. And they did. I mean, they, they, well, on paper-wise, score-wise, right, they didn't exactly do well against Penn State, but I will say that they are getting better passing the football and doing things. They just need to put drives together. And in the past, for Coach Shiano, I would say, eh, you know, a little bit like you're just speaking, but he's speaking as if this is the start of building something, and he hasn't changed his tone the entire time. And I'd say for the first time in a while in terms of listening to Rutgers football on the radio or other things as well, I'm convinced that this is the beginning of what is going to be uh, a, a good little bit of a run of a competitive burst in the Big Ten for this team. And, you know, rather it's going to be by the time, uh, you know, Kyle Manung guys on the team or not, that doesn't matter. By the way, he's absolutely incredible in the running back position. Rutgers has a lot of very good running backs, but when I look at it like this for Rutgers, I think that there's potential down the road if they can just get a little bit better in being productive rather if that's in the receiving position or, of course, under center with quarterback over the next few years. I, I would not be surprised if we're talking about this team not just being highly ranked, but potentially a contender in the Big Ten with Michigan and Ohio State if they keep on the right path. They are progressively improving, and I think next year is the year because with the realignment, they do not play Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State in the regular season. So they have a much more manageable schedule. I believe the only ranked team right now that's on their schedule next year is Washington. So uh, th they have a real opportunity, but they've been getting better 
each and every year. Um, but that's going to do it here. We hope you enjoy Thanksgiving. Uh, again, powered by SeatGeek, promo code SPORTSPEAK, all caps, one word, $20 off your first purchase. Next week, trivia, a lot of fun planned in December over our next few episodes. So stay tuned for that. Enjoy Turkey Day. Until next time, I'm Eddie Kalecki. And I'm Tim Moore. And this is Sports Speak Live. Enjoy Thanksgiving weekend.